Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. We're going to continue in our series today. They took up all my time, so this will be a six-minute message, and then... Um, <laughs> And then I'll send you on your way. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. This is part two in our series called Word and Power in the book of Luke chapter 8. The reason we're walking through Luke, it's our custom every fall to walk through a few chapters in the gospel of Luke. I believe the gospel of Luke is the most detailed account of the life and ministry death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I also believe that the details is where all the good stuff is, amen. And so we walk through this book written by Luke the physician as a clear, articulate, detailed account of what he's known about the life of Jesus such that those who have yet to come to faith would have everything they need to make a rational decision. The Gospel of Luke is not a blind faith document. It's a document that lays out the facts and says, I don't know how you could come to any other conclusion. Amen? Let me step back. <laughs> but you know me. I'm coming to the edge, so we better... <clears throat> so we pick up our series today in Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 4 through 15. We're going to pray. God's going to do his thing. Luke 8, 4. It reads like this. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable... A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and not be saved. And the ones in the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who hear. They hold it fast with an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. The title of our message today, you're going to like it. I like it. It's, it's, uh, it's God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thanks for being here. Holy Spirit, speak through me what you want to say, not what I want to say. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to receive from you what it is that you want for us today. We did not come here to walk out the same. We came here to be changed. Have your way. Amen. If, um, 
If you've had children, you've heard the saying, God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. If you have um, a newborn, anything that falls to the ground gets thrown away. But when your second child comes, anything that falls to the ground goes right back in their mouth. No big deal. We used to talk about the five second rule, but something is interesting about us as we mature over time, especially with kids. You, you realize that most of those germs aren't as bad as you think. Did you know actually there's plenty of scientific evidence that suggests that children, the more they're exposed to germs at a younger age, the healthier their immune system is when they're older. You're gonna hate this part. There's quite a bit of scientific evidence that suggests that constant hand sanitizing is actually doing us harm. I never wash my hands. <laughs> Strong like bull, right? <laughs> Don't touch me. No, there's quite a bit of evidence that suggests that actually being exposed to germs makes you stronger. When my boys were little and they would fall down, I would joke and say, just rub some dirt on it. And, and my parents would like recoil in horror, right? And then I would do it and, and they'd be fine. They're fine, I think. I love joking about this part. Uh, we have a young couple, uh, Rachel and Daytona, they're about to have a baby in five weeks. And I was teasing them this morning about, you know, learning what kind of a parent you will be, right? There's some parents that when their baby is born, that baby's four hours out of the hospital and they're already out on the town, right? <laughs> and then there are other families and their baby is 49 months old and they're thinking about maybe <laughs> venturing out for a day. I just love, love to see how parents uh, interact differently with, with exposure to the ones that they've created and loved and, and to see how they interact with the world around them, specifically dirty things. And I actually think it's a perfect metaphor, a perfect setup for our conversation today. And Jesus is talking in parable uh, about a phrase, about, about a, an instance, a circumstance that makes perfect sense to the population to whom he's talking, but might flow over our heads because most of us aren't farmers. Amen. We're at downtown church. I'd be shocked if we had any farmers in the building. Come on. But one thing that's interesting here is that as Jesus is talking in this parable, he's talking kind of from the heart of the father. You see, you may not know this, but, but our God has long told the story about getting his hands dirty. Did you know that, that you were made from dirt? You ever had a pastor tell you you're dirt people? You are. You were made from the dirt and God breathed the breath of life into you. He did that in the Garden of Eden. In fact, throughout the text, there is many multitude of conversations in which God talks to us about us through the metaphor of the garden. Genesis chapter two, it tells us that we're made from the dirt. This chapter, Luke eight, tells us that the word is the seed. John seven tells us that the Holy Spirit is living water. John eight tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. John three, Romans six talks to us about how all of that together brings forth new life. This book of ours, it's like a, a manual for spiritual photosynthesis. <laughs> Amen? It's interesting that God's story to us is, is all about the mud, the dirt, and how he's willing to get down into the dirt. If I could cap encapsulate the Bible in, in, in just a few short thoughts, it would be this. Jesus loves to get messy, amen? Which is encouraging for messy people, which isn't you, I know, but some of us. 
we have some lives that are a little bit messy. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that our God doesn't sit high and look low and judge you as though you're a mess. No, Jesus gets down into the mess to be a part of the mess to bring order to chaos. Come on. That's so encouraging for me. And I think that's part of the reason that Jesus is talking in this parable in this moment. The Bible tells us here that Jesus has been walking, remember, from town to town and city to city. He's been preaching in small communities. And, and, and this chapter, our focus this, this whole series, about nine weeks through the book, uh, through chapter eight, is to look at how Jesus' words bring forth power, power in his spirit, power amongst the people. And what happens here, right when we pick up this, is that Jesus has been walking through the towns and slowly but surely, the crowds have begun to gather. And what I think is important for us to consider here is that Jesus is talking to simple people very simply. If I could say it like this, Jesus makes things simple. Have you ever held your Bible? And just felt like, I don't understand any of this. Am I alone? I have friends, because I have a lot of friends who are not in the church. By the way, you should still have friends who are not in the church. Come on, somebody. Right? Now, you should be annoying them with Jesus talk all the time. But they should still be your friends. And I have them all the time say, like, dude, because they don't call me pastor. That'd be weird. They're like, bro, the Bible doesn't make any sense. And I'm in a place in my walk with Jesus. I'm like, yeah, it does. It's weird, right? When you first start opening the Bible, when you first get saved, or or when you're a part of a church and they just start a a reading plan, right? And you start reading and then you just drop off because it's super hard and confusing, right? Am I alone on this, right? They get to Leviticus and you're like, I'm out. I'll join you next year. It is confusing. If you don't really understand the tone, the tenor, the structure, the purpose of each one of these chapters and books, if you don't understand who the authors are, if you don't get a good framework, it's just this giant tome of ancient writings that doesn't make any sense. But if you can let Jesus be a part of your life, if you can walk with him and talk with him and engage in some of the spiritual disciplines that are so simple, like worship and prayer, slowly but surely he begins to make things simple. You see, Jesus in this moment is talking to simple people in small towns, and he's talking to them through the lens of him being a rabbi in this moment. They saw him as Rabboni, a teacher of the word, of the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Jewish Bible. And so he was talking to them under the guise of their cultural religion, and most of them knew most of it. But we're not lying to one another. Many of them were still just as confused as modern-day Christians are about their own religion. There are many Christians in the church today, not just this one, but all over, where if you were really pressed and said, what does the gospel really mean? Walk me through it. Many of us, we couldn't do it. I mean, you don't have to feel bad. You're not alone. Most Christians, if I were to say, just walk me through the doctrine of sin, sacrifice, salvation, you'd be hard-pressed to really build it all the way out with verse by verse explanation because most of us are well we're culturally christian we have big signs that the the fellas hold outside before service river how many honks did we get for our honk for jesus sign today 212 (laughs) 
He might be a pastor just stretching it, just stretching it. 212 honks for people who love Jesus, right? So they see a sign that says, honk if you love Jesus. And they honk and they drive by. And the question is, where are they going? Amen? If you love Jesus, are you going to church? Because he said the church was vital. He called it his bride. The church is God's best plan for his people to be purified, redeemed in community because our religion is a communal relationship and brought back to the altar to be brought to the bridegroom, reconciled, redeemed, regenerated, and presented to the Father, spotless, blameless, holy. The church matters. And lots of people, they see the sign, how can you love Jesus? And they're like, going to the Broncos game. Because culturally, we like the idea of Jesus. But spiritually, most of us are kind of confused about how it all works. We listen to songs that say, spirit fall down. And so we think that the Holy Spirit is falling. Amen? We come to church and we take communion and Pastor Rob says, drink the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, think critically for a moment, right? I do communion and I use an old terminology when I do it. I say, take, eat the blood of Christ. And it doesn't even phase you that it's a weird sentence. Take, eat? You mean take and eat? No, take, eat. It's so religious. But none of it seems to bother us. Do you know why? Because in cultural Christianity, we overlook the details so we can feel like we're in the flow of the community, right? Which can work for a short season, but it's not meant to carry you from season to season. And so Jesus is talking to people who may be just as ignorant about the details and the doctrine of their faith as many of us feel when we come to church. And we know Jesus is good, we're just not sure how that works. And we know that we get new life, but I still make mistakes and I'm not sure if I'm getting it right. And we, we know we're supposed to raise our hand, but I feel so weird and I don't wanna do it. Please don't ask me to do it again. And so Jesus comes in and he makes difficult, confusing things simple by talking in simple manners. He's talking to this crowd in this moment an agrarian population using an agrarian metaphor how beautiful to talk to farmers about seed time and harvest uneducated farmers who might really only know just what they know before them the job and the legacy of their family and what their father and their father before them knew and Jesus comes and he says I'm about to explain the kingdom and I'm going to make it really easy for you to understand and I think one of the reasons that most of us as Christians haven't gotten here is because we've been looking at the culture of Christianity for our cues and not leaning into contemplative Christianity with Christ. We haven't just said like, I, I wanna know you more, and so I'm gonna be praying specifically that I might know you more. See, lots of us pray prayers based on the way we hear other people pray, amen? You know when we break out in, in prayer circles? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. If you're new, it's coming for you. Um, <laughs> we break in prayer circles. And I, I've been there before. And I say, gather in groups of four or five and let's go around the circle and pray. And you think, God, please make someone else start this prayer circle. <laughs> and so someone does, because he's faithful, amen? <laughs> and they start and you get a few ideas of what you might be praying, right? 
And then the next guy goes, and you're like, okay, I got a few ideas. And now you're going to be third or fourth in the circle, right? You've got a good little scripted prayer based on a few of the phrases they've said. Yes? Am I talking to anybody here? Okay, okay. And you're ready. And then the person right next to you goes, and they said all of it, and you have nothing to pray about. You're like, thanks a lot, bro. And then there's you. And you're like, uh, Jesus is like, freaking love you like so much. Because most of us are in the community of Christianity, the culture of Christianity, and not in communion with Christ. And so Jesus walks in, and that's his thing. He walks into every town and in every circumstance and every small church, and he says, I I don't actually care how they pray. I care how you pray. I, I don't care if the way that Daniel and Italia speak to the Lord is beautiful and poetic and deep. I care how you pray. I I care to hear your voice about your need in this moment right now. I want to talk to you. And I want to tell you that Jesus' invitation is always just that simple. He makes things simple by speaking very simply. And this is what he said. He says it today, and he said it since he was here and every day since. In Matthew 4, 19, he said to them, the disciples whom he just called, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Matthew 8, 22, Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Mark 2, 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, you ready? Follow me. And Levi arose and followed him. Mark 8, 34, calling to the crowd with him, his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke 18, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, one thing you still lack, sell all you have, distribute to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 10, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Let me make it as simple as Jesus would make it. Christianity is not about a culture. It's about one simple two-word command. Jesus would say unto you today, follow me. Don't follow them. Join them as they follow me. But you said, Pastor, look, man, I, 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 got, I get it. I, I love it. But I'm going through some things. And Jesus would say, I know. Follow me in your pain. In the middle of this desperate moment where you feel like all has fallen down, guess what? I did that so that you'd have no other choice but to follow me. You said, Pastor, I get it, but you're going to be honest with you, man. My life is pretty good. Like, I'm not desperate. I don't have a lot of bad things going on. So, like, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to serve. But, like, I'm not going to be, like, super spiritual and surrender. Amen? (laughs) Jesus would say, one thing you lack, sell all you have, distribute to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. The command is so simple. Jesus makes everything simple. He says, if we cast everything out of your field of vision, I just want it to be me and you. And I 
I want us to do that together, but here's the deal. If your faith is built on my faith, built on their faith, copying our faith, you're gonna miss the opportunity for your own faith. And when Jesus says, follow me, and we turn, you won't know which direction to go. Amen? So Jesus says, follow me. And, and you know what I think is fun is um, he says, follow me in this passage in such a kind of a cryptic way. I mean, he's teaching in parable, which makes total sense to the audience to whom he's chosen. But, but there's also an audience, the Bible tells us, that's there that maybe it doesn't make sense. And what he's done is because Jesus speaks so simply here in this moment, he gives a very simple lesson about dirt. So let's talk about dirt, okay? Jesus gives this parable. Verse five, he says, a sower went out to sow a seed. Some fell along the path, some along the rocks, some in the thorns, and some fell into good soil. Now the Bible tells us that as he's giving this parable, he does so because a crowd has began to gather. The Bible tells us that as he's spoken in each one of these small towns, people are leaving their worlds behind. This is the best part about Jesus. It's just by the power of his simple world word, people are leaving behind their worlds. Like they're literally abandoning things that they know and love, their own way of life, and they've heard something in the simple explanation of the kingdom of God and what's to come through the voice of Jesus Christ that they're like, I gotta be honest with you, this is gonna sound crazy, Mary Sue, but we're like, we're quitting the farm, we're following Jesus. Jesus. And she's like, what? And he's like, I know. But I have to do it. You ever met somebody that does that? Has that ever been you? Have you ever fell in love with Jesus on a Sunday morning? Or maybe you've had one of those worship services at a Pentecostal church where you had so many snot bubbles, you felt embarrassed because of the way God had overcome you. But you come home to your family, your friends, your colleagues, even your work, and you show up and they're like, something's different. And you told yourself you were going to be able to keep it composed. Remember that? You're like, when I go to home, just play it cool. If they ask, I'll just explain the gospel very rationally. I have an encounter with the Lord. And they say, what's up with you? And you're like, I'm a Jesus and I don't care who knows it. He's beautiful. What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And I gave him all my money. And I joined the chair stacking team. Woo-hoo! This is most common in young adults. When I used to lead a young adults ministry or college ministry, I would always have like the hardest people walk into our ministry, young, especially young men. I'd have young men walk into our ministry and they'd walk in and they were positive they were the toughest dude in the room. And then they'd meet me. Not to say that I'm tough, but I'd been to jail 11 times. And so I was able to relate pretty well. <laughs> And they'd be like, Pastor, you don't know. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And I'd show, pull my phone out and show them all my mugshots, you know? And they were like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we talk about Jesus and something would happen. And it always happens slow like this. Tough guys always do this thing where like you can see the moment God cracks their heart because they go like this. <clears throat> They're wrestling with God right in front of you. And then just like, just like a commercial from the 70s, like single tear, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then... They go home. And I used to watch these young men go back to their families and bring the whole family back to church. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. It was as if 
God did the thing in them that the world could not do. And that is what's happening in this passage. Is Jesus has been speaking in very plain terms to hardened people who work the land and till the soil. And they're jaded when they've seen a million prophets and rabbis come through their town. Finally, one has the words and the power of life and everything changes and they give up. The Bible says that Jesus is standing amongst a crowd and it is full of people just like that. They've been changed and they're like, I'm getting rid of everything. I'm following Jesus. But this crowd is also full of people who are not changed. Because don't you know that every gathering of people is full of people who are interested, the inner circle, and then a whole group of critics and spectators. We've talked about this before, right? We've talked about how in any gathering, especially a gathering of faith, there are people who are on the outside. Remember when we were walking through chapter seven, we were talking about the Pharisees and the critical spirit and how they were there mostly just checking on Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is here again amongst a crowd and it says, and so he taught in parable. And I can't miss this. We can't understand this. The crowd is growing, but not all of them are followers. That's why it really doesn't matter how big this church gets. Amen? Amen? People are like, how big is your church? I'm like, I don't care. I really don't have any idea. Well, how many people come on Sunday? I don't know. Because if I measure the seats, I might be measuring just people who are coming because it's fun, because it's cool, and I might think we're really getting it right. Hear me, okay? The size of an organization is not nearly as indicative of the power of the God that is at the head of the organization. Okay? And I'll just say this as a small church pastor. I mean to tell you, there are churches of 12 and 15 people where you ain't never met no Jesus like you've met in that building. There are also churches of 15,000 people, and you'd be hard-pressed to find the Holy Spirit anywhere near that property. Remember, weeds grow too. Amen? So Jesus is standing amongst a crowd, and it's growing, but not all of them are followers. So he teaches in parable, so not all of them get to understand. And I need to hit this right on the head. He walks into this room and he sees all these people, several of them leaning in because they need to know this Jesus and more about this kingdom yet to come. And a lot of them standing on the outside going, well, let's see what he's got. And I don't mind pushing you hard today to say if you came into this room today with that spirit, we'll see what it's all about. You've invited me like 15 times. I'm coming fine. But I'm not going to come back. Jesus sees that spirit. I know this is super hard, but your skepticism walks in the room before you do. Your critical thought, your rejection of this, no matter what he says today, I'm not listening. I don't care. I don't care. I want you to understand, Jesus hears that inner monologue in you. And this is where it really gets hard. Not all of them are followers, so he teaches in parables, so not all of them are understanding. And here's something you just have to know. It has always been God's way to choose the people to whom he reveals himself. See, you think you reject God. You think you've rejected God. And the world, with all of its arguments against God, thinks they're the ones that have done all of the factual evidence, have turned their back on God. I have news for you. It is God who does the choosing. 
you may not like this. We've talked about this. Ellie and I wrestle on this all the time, right? Isn't it fun to talk about this stuff? There's some really great tension in the Bible because you and I, obviously, many of us believe that it's us who chooses Jesus. We've used that language in our churches. Try Jesus. Choose Jesus. Have you made a decision for Jesus? And it sounds like it's good, as though Jesus is invitational. He sets a table and says, hope you come over for dinner. But I want to break this to you. Guess what? If God's sovereign, you didn't choose him. He chose you. He chose you. He ordered your steps. He brought you here. He broke your heart. He made your life turn into a mess. He made you finally humble enough to be like, fine, I quit. Tell me more. Amen? It's always been his way. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Let me just read it for you because it's super good. It's the Bible. I love it. Bible nerds are weird, right? Deuteronomy 7, 6. God, 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 Elohim, the title, Yahweh, the name, God the Father to his people, he says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Holy to me, my name, Yahweh, your God, Elohim. And the Lord your God has, ready, chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, in Deuteronomy, God chooses chosen those people. Okay? Now, here's the other part you have to understand. You, you know this. It's in Luke 6, just a couple chapters back. 6 and 13, right? And when the day came, he called his disciples to him. And he chose 12 and he named them apostles. Or maybe this isn't just the holy nation of Israel or, or those first apostles. Maybe it's, maybe it's also about you and I. Let's look at Ephesians chapter one. The apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's creating much of the doctrine that we understand about God's sovereignty, his selection, election, preordination about who belongs and who he chooses. Chapter one, verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. This is hard doctrine because sometimes you think if he chose me that means he didn't choose somebody else right doesn't that hurt sometimes it frustrates us because it makes us think why well why is he bad why wouldn't he choose them and i want to push you on this here's the deal he's sovereign and he's good all the time he's good so if he makes a choice it's a good choice if he chooses you that's good and if he doesn't choose others That's good. I know that's a hard thing to land on. But if he's really good, then it's always good. And in this moment, he's standing before a crowd of people. Some are following him. Some are not. And he tells the disciples, it is you to whom I have chosen to reveal myself to, so that hearing they may not hear and seeing they may not see. When you think about the fact that God's chosen you, I want you to stop thinking about the fact that he hasn't chosen others, and I want you to marvel at the fact that you, in spite of you, and all your failure, and your mess, and your disaster, and your mistake, and your lying, and your habitual sin, and the things you promised God that you'll never do again, but you do again, in spite of all of that, I want you to recognize he chose you. He chose this day to bring you to this room. He chose this church family to be your church family he chose to use you to change the world are you with me this is hard doctrine amen but this is good doctrine 
Because what it understands, it helps us to understand is that he is in charge. He's on the throne and he's making things good. Now, it's a simple lesson about agrarian harvest and seed time. And the fact of the matter is, is that if you really hear this parable, it shouldn't really confuse you. But the Bible says that many were confused because sometimes a simple lesson from the word of God can be heard by two different people. And one person gets it and the other person doesn't get it. You've been in a room of people and someone's read scripture. You've been in small group and everybody understands it and you don't. And you're like, oh, what in the world is going on here? Why is it so complicated? The truth of the matter is, is that God chooses to reveal himself to a certain group of people and in phases. That's also why when you read the Bible one week, it's different the next week. How many of you have a favorite passage that over time has just transformed the way it means itself to you? You know what I'm talking about? Psalm 37, 23 is one of my all-time favorite. For the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God and he delights in his path. I used to ruminate on righteous man. When I was an addict and I was sick, I used to remind myself, God calls me righteous even though I'm sick and I'm dying. I know he's got more for me and I'm, I've just got to get through this season. I've got to get out. I used to land on the fact that he called me righteous. Then when God called me out of addiction and I was walking through a season of recovery, living in my parents' basement, driving over four hours a day to take these boys to a Catholic school that we couldn't for it, but I just wanted to be a part of their life and I used to take a urine test every single week to prove that I was sober and it was so hard but I remember thinking ordered steps ordered steps God's going before me he's making a path for me I don't really know how to do this but he's before me and now I'm in a season where the Bible tells me in Psalm 37 23 that he delights in my path and I have to be reminded that sometimes God loves my life even when I'm struggling in it come on somebody you see the fact of the matter is, is that our God is bigger than us, yes? yes? And so if you don't fully understand him right now, you're in the right place, yes? yes? If I meet the Christian who has it all figured out, I am running from that person. Because there's tension in the text. There's stuff in this passage from book to book that the critics say, make it so that it doesn't agree. But, but we know that it's inerrant in its original translations, that it's authoritative, that it's sufficient, and that it gives us life. And so when James talks about faith without works is dead, and Paul talks about, I'm not talking about works, I'm talking about faith. While they might seem opposed, there are the same conversation pulling us to tension so that you know, I don't fully understand this, but I'm seeking Christ because I'm looking for him in this, follow me. Amen. Last part, I want to show you this. Because you, you, you may be here and you're like, whoa, okay, so uh, <laughs> we're talking about predestination and election. That got deep, right? And um, some of us are chosen. <laughs> and how do I know if it's me? <laughs> you ever felt like it wasn't you? Like every Thursday? <laughs> it's not me. I know it. Here it is. Jesus explains how you know if it's you. Right here in this parable. This is the best part. The Bible says the disciples don't understand, and so they say, Jesus, uh, you want to talk us through this parable? And Jesus is like, yeah, check it out. And he explains it. And the question is this, like, how do you know if you're good seed or good soil, right? And we might just say it like this. What kind of dirt are you? Because Jesus talks about four dirt. He says this. Now, the parable is this, verse 11. The seed is the word of God. We learned that. And the seed along the path are those who've heard. 
And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and may not be seed. This is it. This is the hardened heart in the room today who has at every turn in this message been frustrated and angry at me. The path is the one that has been trampled down by life so much so that one's soft soil is as hard as asphalt. This is the one who walks into the room and simply cannot be touched, cannot be uh, gathered, cannot be loved, cannot be reached. And Jesus says, oh gosh, you gotta see this. He says, I still sow seed right on that path. Woo, you can't miss this now, come on. He says, I see you when you walk in angry and, and rejecting me, and I know that you don't want to be a part of me, and the truth is I will choose whom I'll choose, but I will also throw seed at you that's to give good. you an opportunity so that I might choose you. Ah, that's the beauty of it. You see, it's layer on layer. It's not just that he chooses, and those who wanted Jesus don't get a shot. He knows who wants him, and he chooses those who want him. He also makes them to want him. And so even the people in this room right now who have the hardest of hearts, he's still sowing seed in your life right now. He's doing it at your job. He's doing it with your friends. He's doing it right here. Even if you hate everything I say, there's going to be one sentence today and he's going to get you right in your heart. And you'll be all frustrated with me about it because you wanted to hate me. You're like stupid skinny jeans and them dumb shoes, man. Freaking... <laughs> Jesus is like, I still sow seed in hard ground. How do you know if you're really hard ground? You're hard-hearted. Second one, he says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. And they believe for a while, but, ready, in the time of testing, they fall away. This, if I'm gonna be totally honest with you, it's 99% of Christians. We are here and we're in the right room at the right time with the right heart and the right word drops right into our spirit. And you leave this place and you get a fresh start. Isn't that good? And you're ready and you're faithful and you believe, but you do nothing with it. And so tomorrow, Today's word doesn't carry you. I might say it like this. You got too many cracks in your life to hold on to this seed. Like you got too many other things that are just with you, distracting you, busy, keeping you going all the time that you don't have a chance to meditate on this word, hold down on this word, go old school and journal on this word, or ready, even better, get some time in this word to get your own word. Again, Please don't let my faith be your faith. Jesus says, and as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. This is the other 1% of Christians. The seed falls into the ground, but they can't sustain the seed because there's so much chaos going around. There's so much excitement, so many other, ready, gods in their life. You said, Pastor, I don't have another God. Do you? I wonder how often you think about the Lord. And is it the same amount that you think about money? Is it the same amount that you think about relationship? Is it the same amount that you think about career? The truth of the matter is whatever has your heart and whatever has your mind is what occupies the throne of your life. 
And we're talking about that. Those are the thorns. It's that I love it when Jesus speaks, but I'm just going to kind of let it fall through the cracks because so many other things are being watered in my life. So many other wonderful things that I like. I've got this and I've got that and they're all good, but none of them are God. And that's why he says, so their fruit doesn't mature. It's not that you don't get it. It's that it doesn't grow. Every week you produce a little fruit, but you never nurture it. And then he says, but there's one kind of soil. The good soil for those of they who hear and hearing the word, they they hold it fast in an honest and good heart. They bear fruit with patience. This is our invitation. This is our best, okay? Jesus calls us to this. He wants you to be good soil. And I want you to think about the garden. Good soil is soft, amen? When you're gonna plant flowers this coming spring, you want good soil right? You go to Home Depot and you get the yellow bag and it's dark. That soil's dark and it's got those weird white dots in it. I have no idea what that is. Styrofoam? Something. Anyway, but that soil is soft, right? And you till up the ground and you put that dark, soft soil. It's light and it's full of nutrients. And then once you pack it down, you begin to carve out spots to sow Seeds such that that ground becomes a stable environment in which that seed can sprout. You water it. And it's, it's held together so it doesn't run away with the water. Yeah. It's packed in tight so it doesn't get blown by the storms of life. Yeah. And over time, with that seed and that water and that sun, it begins to sustain something. Now, don't get... Confused. When your plant first begins to bud, the job has just begun. Come on, somebody. See, that's the curse of new, new Christianity is we get excited because we're no longer sinning as much as we used to. Amen? We're like, check it out. I don't do heroin. <laughs> and everybody's like, whoa, okay. Uh, <laughs> Can I talk to my room? Can I talk to my church? Come on, somebody. You don't think there's some of us in here. Some of us have been fighting a real battle. And we're just so shocked that God would remove that from us. But you have to be reminded that whatever your biggest battle is in this room, that's just the beginning. God slays the big giants so he can work on the little ones all the way through the journey. So when your bud begins to sprout, that's when you really get to tilling the soil. That's when you let the master gardener begin to work so that he prunes you, so that he clears the soil, so he gets rid of those things that don't grow up, so that the rocks are in there, so that things go away. He's wanting to make it so that you can produce fruit. Amen. Because he's a good God who gives life. And he invites each one of us to be good soil that brings forth life. So what kind of dirt are you? Ben, you can come up. That's the question. See, God made dirt. And dirt don't hurt. Amen? It don't hurt. Next time you get a scrape, rub a little dirt on there. But ask yourself this. Am I the kind of soil that God's seed can be planted into? Am I soft? Am I teachable? And am I willing to water what he's doing today so that tomorrow he can do even more through me? Because that's the question.
Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with Lead Pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!